Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 130. Psalm 130. As you are turning there, I'd like to share this with you this morning. Years ago, I, uh, when I worked as a teacher, I was asked to uh, help sponsor a Fellowship of Christian Athletes huddle in the, the school that I was working in. And one particular morning, we were meeting just before school started. And as students were filing in and some teachers were coming in, there was an employee at our school that came to me just outside the door. And I knew that uh, she had been going through some family issues, but I didn't really press it. And she looked at me, and before she ever spoke a word, she began to tear up. And she said, you know, I, I know that you lead this group, and I know what goes on in there, and I know what it's about. And then she stopped, and she never got the next word out. And she just looked at me with tears in her eyes, and she said, I'm sorry, and she walked away. She never shared with me or, or anybody that I know of in that ministry what had happened, but we all knew that she needed support. And she walked away. The Christian's spiritual life is very personal, but it's never to be isolated. It's never to be on its own. And some people, depending upon who they are and how they tick, keep their cares and their burdens and even their victories in a safety deposit box in their heart. And they lock it away and they only open it up in personal times of prayer. And this may seem like a crazy statement that I'm about to make. And no one is asking you to be somebody that you are not. But I want you to listen to this. God has not meant for you to walk through this life with just him alone. God has not meant for you to walk through this life with just him alone. Are you saying he's not enough? No, that's not what I'm saying. God is always enough. As the Spirit of God lives within us who believe, as the Spirit of God is with us, that means that we can endure. But I don't want you to miss the point. God ministers to you through others and through you to others. Write that down. God ministers to you through others and through you to others. He has built us for relationships in this world, relationships that have a purpose to comfort and encourage and counsel, God has built us that way. Yes, God uh, as our Heavenly Father is just that. He is our Heavenly Father and He is our friend. But you are not an only child when it comes to the kingdom of God. You are not an island. In Psalm chapter 68 verse 6, the Bible says that God places the lonely in families. And I take that to mean church families. God places the lonely, the broken the wounded, the spiritually in despair. He places those folks all together in a new family with the same father. In fact, the scripture says that when the people first started believing in Jesus, if you look in Acts chapter 2, when, when those first revivals began and the Spirit of God was moving and people began to turn from themselves and their sin and they began to turn to God, the Bible says that they were baptized and then they were added to the church. They were baptized and then put together in a church family. They became followers of Jesus. They became students of the Bible. They became people that devoted themselves to their Savior. And they were subject 
to the Lord, listen to this next word, together. Together. In other words, as soon as a personal relationship with God began, a corporate relationship also began. Psalm chapter 130, again, is a song of ascent. We've covered this in the last couple of weeks. These are the songs that the people of God in the Old Testament sung on the way to Jerusalem as God gave them the festivals that they were to report to a few times a year. And they were to sing these songs, or these songs were created for them to sing along the way so that they would remember who they are dealing with. And and the God who's asking them to make this travel trip all the way to Jerusalem, they would remember who he is and what he's done for them. And so the nation of Israel is just like any other group. They are made up of individuals and influencers who make up a collection of people. And it's within that in Psalm chapter 130 that we'll see the two things. You're going to see in just four verses. The first two, you're going to see singular. And in the next two, you're going to see plural. You're going to see me, myself, and I. And then you're going to see together and us and we. Because at the end of the day... What we have in a right relationship with God is very personal, but the way that we are to receive help and to give help is very corporate. So in Psalm chapter 130, verses 1 through 4, From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord, pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. Amen. Lord, we ask, God, that you would preside over this time. And we pray that you would teach us. And, Lord, forever who we think we are, upside you, God, we have a long way to go one way or the other. God, we thank you for who you are and we acknowledge who we are not. And I pray that you would speak to us today, make plain the truth about ourselves. And, God, as you reveal who we are, And who you are, I pray, God, that our heart and our life, we would respond. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing you see in the first two verses is the state of man. The state of man. In Psalm chapter 130, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, and the psalmist says, From the depths of despair, O Lord. Now, some of you already have said amen to that. Just because that's where you are today. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. And without a show of hands, I already know there's many of us that have been at this place in our life. We are almost at a desperate end where something has got to give. And so we acknowledge the God who created us, the God we've heard about, maybe even the God we don't even know. And we call out to him and we cry to him and we offer a prayer for help and it's isn't it interesting how sometimes we say we don't know how to pray but if it gets bad enough we know how to pray because we just call on the Lord the best way we know how just like a child would to his father and the words depths of despair depths of despair they signal this is more than just hey can y'all come over and help me out for a second no it's not that kind of cry or call it's a, I'm sinking I'm drowning Severe distress signal going out, I need what I can't get. I need what I cannot muster up within myself to help. Now the words depth of despair, when we read that, is likely going to invoke some kind of personal connection from you and what you've gone through. Relative to physical distress or emotional distress, relational distress, 
And this deep despair, though, as we talk about and think about all the things that we've been through, this deep despair reveals even a deeper need of our soul, even likely than what you are, are thinking of, a need that is still yet unmet or a need that has been met, and we need to be reminded of it. As they are marching and singing who God is, we need to be reminded of what we have. And the individual call, this help that the psalmist is calling out for, is representative of every single man, every single woman in the world. As we discover who we are before God, we are flawed and we are finite. And before God, who is eternal and who is holy. And when we discover who we are as flawed and finite before an authoritarian, loving, all-knowing, all-powerful both kind and severe God who is eternal and holy when we realize who we are and who he is, our only hope is to cry out and call out in distress. Have you called upon the name of the Lord Jesus is what he said. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? The only one that can fix what's broken. The only one who can help you when it comes to eternal matters. Have you called upon him? You see, church, if you are a believer, if you are a church member, if you are a church attender, a church regular, this is the reason why we should invite people to church. You see, you may be here today and somebody invited you to come. And you wonder often, like, what, they think I need to get things together or whatever. Let me tell you why people invite you to come. The first reason they invite you to come is because they want to see you in heaven when they get there. And thank God for the people that have invited me to church. You know what I got in the mail today? There was a door hanger on our door yesterday. I got it from a church over in Madison. It, it had out there, it was a gospel track, plan of salvation, eternal life, things like that. We're going to give you a similar invite card for you to invite people to Easter with. But that little bag I got, I opened it up, and you know the last thing I was was offended. I wasn't offended at all. Somebody cared if I went to heaven or hell, and they told me. They at least put something in my way. Now, you can throw it away or you don't have to use it, whatever. But I thank God for a church that's willing to just say, look, it may not seem like the best method, or maybe this seems out of date, or maybe we're trying to be real religious. Man, we just, we just care about people. Just want you to go to heaven. Is that offensive? If that's offensive, you've got a lot bigger things to deal with. But this is why we should invite people, truly, this is why we should invite people to be before the Word of God, because in front of God's Word, we all, Christian or not, are exposed to the truth of who we are before God and His Word. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, we are accountable to God. See, we may think to ourselves that when we die, we're just annihilated and it's over with. We may think to ourselves that, you know, to my friends and family, that's the ones I really owe apologies to if I mess with them or they're offended by me. But the Bible says that God is whom we are accountable to. That we will answer for who we are and what we've done with his good news when we die. Y'all, I'm just a messenger. This is not something I'm coming up with. I'm telling you this because it is my responsibility, but also because I want to see you in heaven when I die. Jen Wilkins said, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of self always goes hand in hand. When we are in front of God's word, we will then understand who we are and who we're not. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, the Bible says, When Adam sinned, now this is, this is discipleship here, now take it in. 
Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world, sin brought death, and death spread to everyone. Everyone meaning all y'all. Everybody. Everybody's got sin. Everybody's got that big capital P problem. And by death, the Bible means separation. So when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought separation. So separation spread to everyone. In our sin, remaining in our sin, we are separate from a holy, loving, awesome God who is willing to save us. But in our sin, we remain separate from him. But there are many, as we look at this and as we think about what all of this means, while all of us, as we remain in our sin, are separate from God, a lot of times what distracts us from that need is we have everything that we want. Where we live, it's not a matter, really, and we talked about this in our group this morning, it's not really a matter of, of basic needs, it's a matter of contentment. We have everything that we want. Let me make a statement to you, see if it lands. If we have everything we want out of life but are separate from God, we have nothing. We have everything that we want in this life but, but are not in a right relationship with God. We don't really have anything at the end of the day. But you see, there are many who, who don't get everything that they want. There are many that don't have different menu items to choose from. There are many that don't have different modes of transportation at their home. There are many that don't have multiple ways of, of being taken care of. There are many in this life that are in despair relative to their physical situation. They don't have everything that they want. In fact, a lot of them don't have any of their basic needs. They are needing food, water, shelter, and the church has responsibility there as well. You see, we see this fresh and new with the refugee crisis right now that is happening from the war in Ukraine. People are leaving their homes and everything that they knew as a way of life, basic provision, the common grace of God over them. And they are leaving all of that and they are leaving the, the knowledge of a next meal and a place to stay and a roof overhead and they are being sent away. And this is being depicted before our very eyes. But here's the point that I'm making to you now. Just as much as they are in physical need, the truth of the Bible states that the eternal souls of people still hang in suspense until the problem of their sin is met with the solution of Jesus. So the people who have and the people who have not, all of those are still met with the problem of sin until the solution is found in Jesus. So the reason I bring that up is because you may be thinking to yourself, well, how are we helping and if you're wondering, how, how do we help and how do we respond to that? How do we respond to a global crisis as a church? First of all, you already have helped. I want to explain that to you today. When we take up our Give to Go offering in October, just as we took it up last October, out of that Give to Go missions offering, we send $30,000 to the IMB, the International Missions Board. That is from your giving. We send $30,000 to the International Missions Board from that Give to Go offering. 
And this organization serves Southern Baptists that are, are carrying out not just meeting physical needs, but spiritual needs across the world through thousands of missionaries. In our church, our, our, our missions pastor now is a former, he and his family, former IMB missionaries. We have another couple here that has joined our church in recent months. They are also former IMB missionaries. And so Southern Baptists and our churches like ours, we send that kind of donation to an organization that has already been on the ground in Ukraine and surrounding countries. Thousands of missionaries everywhere seeking to help those that are, are in need for food, water, and shelter. And by meeting those physical needs, getting to the place where they share the greatest need that is spiritual life and life forever. I want you to see this video just for a second. This organization that we support as a church and that your money is going to, I want you to see this uh, from basically ground zero when the refugees are crossing the border from Ukraine to Poland. We're standing here at the border checkpoint as the main route coming out of Ukraine and the city of Kiev. We're here on the Polish side and we've seen busloads full of women and children being brought out as they're trying to escape the advance of the Russian troops. We're here to say thank you, Southern Baptist, because you're here. You're providing relief and help, hope to the hurting right now. Because of your giving through a network of partners inside of Ukraine and all around Ukraine, we were able to respond quickly. We will continue to respond quickly. Your gifts are at work right now, and they continue to. So thank you for your generosity, Southern Baptist. You can find specific prayer points and prayer requests, as well as the opportunity to give online at sendrelief.org. So I wanted you to know this morning that you are already helping. When you gave to the Give to Go Missions offering that comes back around again in October, part of that offering goes towards organizations like this that are sponsoring missionaries across the entire globe that are already on the ground using Kingdom of God dollars that you've given to meet physical needs in order to get to the greatest need that is spiritual life. Now, with that being said, I want to tell you, send relief as it's put on the screen Send Relief is a, a collaborative organization that works together with the North American Mission Board and the International Mission Board, and they work together to provide immediate assistance to those refugees and people like them in desperate situations across the world. If you've given already to the Give to Go missions offering, then we have already given to the effort. If you'd like to give above that, you can go to sendrelief.org. It's just as quick as a click of a button, and you can give over and above what we've already sent. But I want you to understand how a church responds because as we see it in the world, no matter what people are going through, yes, Jesus met physical needs, but with a spiritual message that, that the kingdom of God is near, that, that the real purpose of, of healing and, and the real purpose of ministry is so that we point to our greatest need that every man and woman in the world has because every person has a nature of sin when sin entered the world it got to all of us and now we stand separate from God until we believe the good news until we turn from our sin and turn to God and believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ and this is the greatest need that we all have and the reason we again would push you in that direction to help meet needs through this organization is because, once again, they are providing not just relief that will extend for a few days or a few years, but they are providing spiritual truth and relief that would last for eternity. Truths like this one. 
that are found in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20. Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Did you hear what the Bible said? Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. There's two sides of response to that. One side is, thank the Lord for that word, because I needed to hear that, that all of y'all are sinners and it ain't just me. Right? There's that side. But then the other side is there's not a person that's good and we're all sinners, but God is holy. So when we realize that now we are accountable to God and we're not holy, what happens next, right? Have you recognized this spiritual need in your life? Have you truly thought about this in your spiritual life? I've told you many times before, my short testimony, you know, we were raised in church, brought to church all the time, and I thought I was a good kid because I was a church kid, right? And I'm sitting in the back of the pew on a Sunday night as the gospel is being preached. And all of a sudden, it all clicks in my heart and mind. The Spirit of God convicts me of my sin, my unrighteousness, and my need for God. And so it was at that moment that I realized that there are no good kids. And no matter how good I think I've been, there's no good that's going to stand right up before a holy God. And I thank God not for the truth, not just for the truth that would would give conviction of sin, but I thank God for the truth that God has made provision for my forgiveness. That's why we have sung this morning. Lord, now we're going to take it the rest of the way, and I pray that you free us from any kind of distraction. Lord, the Spirit of God I know is in this place, and I pray, Jesus, that you would lead us through the invitation that we respond how we need to. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you recognized this need in your life? Have you recognized it today for the first time in a long time? You used to hear this and it used to connect. And now you're hearing it again fresh and new for the first time in a long time because now we're at a distance from God and we know it. And if we're singing this song on the way to Jerusalem along with all of the Israelites or we are making our way to church, we're not making our way to church singing songs of worship. We're singing songs of repentance because we know who God is. You may have everything that you'd care to have in this life, but without right standing before God, you have a temporary standing leading to an eternal fall. This author has a clear and full conviction of sin. He is crying out in despair, I need you, God. I need you from the depths of despair. I call for your help. How many of you have ever just had a repetitive prayer that you prayed, God, help me, God, help me? And this is where he's praying, hear my cry, Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Well, that's a good thing. And the good news is, is that next is God makes an offer. God responds. Look at verses 3 and 4. In the New Living Translation, which is a thought-for-thought translation, the Scripture says in verses 3 and 4, Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness. Hallelujah, indeed. You offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. This is the offer of God. It's forgiveness. If God kept a running record of our immoralities, if God kept a running record of our selfish actions, our wicked thoughts, our past sinful deeds, great and small, if God kept a ledger of unkind words, if God kept a running ticket of unfaithful stewardship, of poor attitudes, who could stand under his righteous judgment? If God kept the list going, red pen, and every time something happened, was thought of in action, he kept it listed. Who could stand underneath a holy God? 
Let me ask this. If God kept that record, how many of y'all would want to see your own? Yeah, me either. I don't even want to see it. I don't want to look back on it and, and know. And, and, but here's what happens. If we were to look back on that record of sin for our entire life, we would then know the weight of it. We would then see how long a list it is. And we would stop saying that our good could outweigh our bad. And we would stop thinking that maybe our good would, would be enough to get us before a holy God. If we would see that record of sins, that Bible says, if God kept it, if we could see that, then we would realize what kind of, of spiritual pressure we really are under. You see, this is why we don't often see sin like the psalmist saw it. Because if God kept a record and we reviewed it, that would mean we would need a solution. That would mean that we would cry out and call out for the answer just like the psalmist is. And as long as we consider our sin not as bad as somebody else's, and as long as we keep seeing our sin as being outweighed by the good in our life, we don't see a problem. Let me, let me, let me help you connect it this way. What if the law... And by the law, I mean law enforcement. What if law enforcement kept a record of every single time you broke the speed limit? How come everybody's responding to that? Now, I'm talking about, and some of y'all already like, it's just 10 over. They'll give you 10. You see, what are we doing? What are we doing even with that? What if the law, what if there was a chip in your car, what if there was something that every single time you went 36 and a 35, every single time you went 57 and a 55, every single time some of y'all went 90 and a 70, all right? We got some law enforcement in here, man, just watch us on the way out. What if every single time it went one mile per hour over? And you got to see the record of it. What would you think then? Well, I hear what you're saying, but that's unrealistic. Nobody's perfect. One is. One is. He became sin who what? Who knew no sin. Jesus knew not a record of sin in his life. And being the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, he laid down his life so that we might experience forgiveness. There's one who is holy, and it's him to whom we are accountable. What do we think that holy means? Here's another ticket that we need to get this morning is that he is also the judge. So the holy and righteous one who is without sin is also the judge. You see... This is the kind of mindset that we should have when we are thinking of sin. And me too, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm the lead out in this. I need to have this mindset as well. Not to pledge allegiance to the law, but to thank God for his grace and to rely on it. Take this down. When considering the weight of sin, don't think about your bad. Think about his good. Because when we think about our bad, what we want to do is do two things. We want to start doing good works because we think it will get us over the hump. Or we'll, we'll, we'll even think about our bad and, and we'll compare it to somebody else's and think it's not that bad. But when we think about his good, we know that there is no chance unless God does something. And that's where we need to be. 
Because he is the only way to eternal life. He's the only way to real purposeful life and abundant life. When you do that, you'll realize the record of your sin is up against his perfect nature. And when the record of our sin is up against God's perfect nature, it's just like verse 3 says, Who, O Lord, could ever, ever survive? But you see, it's out of that perfect nature that God makes what verse 4 calls an offer of forgiveness. This means pardon for God, from God for your sin. Now, I want you to hear me very clearly because this next part is really important. You have got to know this today. Because every single sin counts, every single sin can be forgiven. Y'all didn't hear that over here. Because I got at least two amens over here. Because every single sin counts, every single sin can be forgiven. Amen indeed. That's good news. Every single one of them. God doesn't forgive up to a certain percentage. Like, he'll cover your transgressions up to this amount. No, he died for it all. He died. This is good news, is it not? Yes, and you are even thinking today, he died for it all. And even right now, Satan or your flesh or your desires are going to bring up, yeah, but what? not that, right? What about that? Even that. What are you talking about? I'm talking about the thing right now that every single one of us holds in our hearts someplace deep that we're probably suppressing, hoping that God will forgive. I'm here to tell you that he will and has. He will forgive you. That is the truth. How do we know that? Because it's not the record of sins that he's forgiving. It's your nature of sin that he's forgiving. You see, the scripture says, and y'all, this is not on the screen because I didn't tell them and that's my fault. I want you to make this a mark in your Bible. Colossians chapter 2 verse 14 says, He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. I think it is on the screen. You guys are awesome. He canceled the record. Whatever the charges are, this is in the broad category. Whatever it is you've done, you've thought, you've said, Whatever the things are that people know about, that people don't know about, the thing that's in your mind and heart, if you have turned from sin and confessed your faith and need in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, he has canceled the record. Man, we can, we can strike up the band and sing again after that. See, it was not one particular sin that did a sin. It's our entire nature of sin. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, took care of it, and he made the offer of forgiveness through Jesus. Now, when an offer of forgiveness is made, some will not receive it. This is the truth. When an offer of forgiveness is made, some will not receive it. You know why? Because they can't believe it. They can't buy it. They, they think that that song, Grace, that is greater than all my sin, not my sin. But God's grace, as he gave it and is the final word, is greater than all of your sin. But see, that's the effect of sin. Sin wants you to feel unforgivable, unforgiven. Sin makes you feel like you cannot be loved, even by God himself. That's the way that sin works. Sin wants you to feel separation, stay separation. That is its effect. It will make you feel as if you cannot get off the hook. It will turn you into a person who won't ever believe that anything could be free. That anything could be free. I remember at Lindsay Lane East, there was an outreach project that we did. It was a four-way stop, and we gave away biscuits in the morning. I think they were Chick-fil-A biscuits, so blessings, amen, heavenly blessings. 
Like we, we gave him away, and, and we did that because the four-way stop was located, I mean, seriously, about half mile or less from our church. So one morning as people are going to work, going to school, we were handing them out. We weren't handing out anything else but biscuits. And really it was an outreach project that kind of turned into a research project. Because as we were handing out biscuits, some folks, a lot of people were trying to, we could have made $200 that morning. Seriously. And, and, and people were like, here, here, take this. We're like, no, we're just, we're just, look, we're at the church, we're in the community, it's right up the road, we'd love for you to come, just letting you know that we care. You know, so we're giving out biscuits, and people are trying to pay us for them. And there are some people knowing that they want that biscuit and probably need it, and they would not roll their window down. They wouldn't even look at us. Yes, I want a Chick-fil-A biscuit. No, I don't want to talk to you. And some of you are those people. Don't do that, man. They're just trying to give you a biscuit. Just tell them thank you or no thank you, but carry on. Don't be ugly about it. But you know, there were some people that wouldn't receive it because they couldn't pay for it. There are some people that wouldn't receive it because we, they wanted to pay us and we, we were like, it's free. It's just free. Now it can't be free. You know, it's free. Well, it's free in a sense because in our culture, we are taught in economics classes, there's no such thing as a free lunch, Right? Which means what? It means that someone pays for it. And I am here to tell you that salvation was not free. It came at a great price, but it's free and available to us because of the payment that Jesus made. Salvation has been bought and paid for by the authority of God through the work of our Savior and King Jesus. And the Spirit of God is drawing you to that right now. God's Spirit is either saying this is what you need or this is what you need to get back to. So turn from yourself, turn to God, believe in Jesus. That is the way to salvation. Listen, it, it may be in our world, and in our world that needs order, and in our world where information is readily available, it may be that our sin finds us out publicly. It may be that our consequence is out there, whatever. But with God, you should also know that if it gets out or if it doesn't, your record of guilt will be cleared. Cleared by the blood of Jesus Christ. So to that, y'all, I would say take the offer. Take the offer. He's offering it. It's on him. Receive it. Take the offer that God is making. Your whole entire record cleared. Take the offer. Don't be like those crazy people on deal or no deal. Those folks are offered $50,000 that they didn't have before, and they'll go, no deal. And I'm like, you're a moron. <laughs> Straight up. Straight up. I don't know if I should have said moron. I was trying to think of something. But I think that's idiotic. That's why they wouldn't have me on the show. The offer is $10,000. Sold right there. Well, that would make for like a 10-minute show. Heck, I'd take $500. I don't, I don't see. I don't, I don't get it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't get it. But, but we can do that. There, there's not going to be any greater offer that you're going to get from God than that. To, to clear your record of sin to make you fit for heaven when you don't deserve it in the first place, that's the best offer God's going to make and is the offer that we absolutely need. Now, there's a lesson that comes with this as we close. 
And the lesson that comes with this is for, if with forgiveness, there is to be fear that follows forgiveness. Look at verse 4. But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. You offer forgiveness that we, do you see this now? That we together, the people of God, might learn, and learning is ongoing. When you stop learning, that's as good as you're going to get. When we learn together to fear you. That's what comes with forgiveness is fear. You must know this, because every single sin counts. Every single one of them can be forgiven. When they are forgiven, we have freedom from the penalty of sin. We have freedom from the the power of sin. But now we have responsibility of fear of God. Scripture says in Psalm chapter 111, verse 10, For the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. And all who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. So that, again, Psalm 130, so that we might learn to fear you. Because God's desire, once we are forgiven, church, y'all listen to this, once we are forgiven, God's desire is not that we go back to the sin that we've already called on him to forgive us of. Right? That we would not, that we would not ask God to forgive us, and then the next day, and then the next situation, we go back to the sin that he delivered us from, That is not the idea of God. Remember we talked about in Ephesians, the new nature, to put on the new nature? How often should we do that? How often do you need him? All the time. And that's where when we are turning from sin and turning to God, we are living in the new way, we are throwing off the old way, that's where God gets glory and we get the good. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 26... Verse, chapter 26, verse 21. The Bible says, Then Saul confessed, I have sinned. Come back home, my son, and I will no longer try to harm you, for you valued my life today, and I have been a fool and very, very wrong. Why would I read that? Because Saul had tried to kill David multiple times. David was an up-and-comer. Saul was losing his spiritual grip. He's on his way out. David is on his way up. And this is what's happening. And Saul, being more fearful of his name than God's name, begins to try to take out his adversary, who he thinks is David. And there's a couple of times, a couple of times, when David has the upper hand, and David, being a warrior and a king, could have killed him and taken him out. But for the respect for his position, he spared him. And the next time, the last time that he did this in 1 Samuel, the last time that he spared him, he's like, dude, I've got your spear and your water. That which you need for life and to defend life, I've got it in my hand. I'm letting you know I've got it because I could have taken you out and you know it. And that's when Saul says what we've just read. Listen to what he said because we're talking about the fear that is found within forgiveness. 1 Samuel 26, 21 He confessed before David, I've sinned an admission of guilt. When we are pardoned, God offering forgiveness. He says, I've sinned, there's an admission of guilt. Come back home, my son, and I will no longer try to harm you, for you valued my life today. I will change everything that's going on because you've pardoned me, because you, who have the upper hand, have valued my life today. I've been foolish and very, very wrong. Saul deserved justice. He tried to kill David multiple times. When he realized that he would not survive David, he admitted his guilt and David pardoned him. His response, listen to this Christians, his response, 
I will no longer try to harm you. Now, I wouldn't go tell you to study Saul's character for a character study of how to live and finish well. But I would tell you that his heart right here is the right response that every person should have before God who pardons them. I will no longer try to harm you. What I was doing before, I don't want to do again, and I will not. Out of a, not a, a slavery fear, but a childlike fear, I will not try this again because I know you have the power to take me out, yet you show me restraint. Out of awe and respect for you, I yield. Man, would you think for a second just about the goodness of God? Do we know that God could, out of his wrath, cause us to fear him for sure? Out of God's wrath, God could make us fear him. But do you know what he does? Out of his goodness, out of his goodness and forgiveness, we should learn to fear him. That's how, that's how God is so holy and good. He works for our good and it's to his glory. How does he work for our good? He is pulling us away within that knowledge of fear from the very thing we asked him to forgive us of last night and a few days before and this morning. God is working to pull you away from that. The thing is, while Scripture doesn't show Saul doing it again, if you read there in 1 Samuel, it doesn't show Saul going back to his ways of trying to get at David again. But David didn't trust him. Because even though he wouldn't try to kill him again, after each and every episode of trying to kill him in the first place, after each and every episode of, I'm so sorry, David, Saul went back to his hatred and his desire to kill David. So his words were, I'm sorry. His actions were like, I'm going to try to get at you again. And it didn't line up. There's a, a, a divided heart. In between the first and the second time David spared his life, Saul came, the Bible says, came after him in the wilderness. What happened? He went back. From fear to feeling. He went back from fear to feeling. Forgiveness yields freedom, but it demands responsibility. We are free from the penalty and the power of sin, and now we are responsible with the fear of God. Without the fear of God in the life of a Christian, we'll go back to feeling. This is why we need to learn it together, church. This is why we need to study the Bible together. This is why we need to hold each other accountable, so that we all are moving away from feeling and moving towards the mountain of fear, the fear of God. When we were kids, we used to play a game outside during the, the night when we had family gatherings. And uh, I've debated about whether or not to tell you the name of this, uh, this game we used to play, because it's really cheesy, and I don't even know why we played it. I don't even know what the, the actual, I was too young to really know how you played it. So I'll just tell you, whatever. We called it Hoot Nanny Wolf. Yep. I'm not proud of that. I didn't come up with it, though. But my whole family, and when I say my whole family, not the adults. They were looking at us, rolling their eyes, probably playing cards. But all the young folks, and me, I was the youngest. So they wanted to play Hoot Nanny Wolf. Now, I don't even remember how we played this. But what I do remember, it was, I'm going to scare you under the darkness of night game. That's basically it. I don't remember the details. My sister's in here. I don't, you probably remember. We probably should have talked about this before. And I, would you like to come up now? No, okay. <laughs> That's what I thought. So, the, again, the basics of the game were we run outside, it's nighttime, and you're a little kid, and we're going to scare you. So, I remember being deathly afraid of that. 
like really scared to play that because even though I was with family and friends who I thought loved me, I still felt like something bad could happen. Really afraid. But do you know what was even more, I was even more afraid of? Not playing. I was even more afraid of not playing and garnering the respect of friends and family. I was more afraid of them being like, you're not going to play, you big baby? I was more afraid of that than I was the dark and the said wolf. What we fear the most is what we will yield to the most. In our life, what we have the greatest respect for is that we, which we will abide by. Is that which you can find us at. What we have the most awe for, the most reverence for, the most respect for. That's where you can find our actions being. Saul was more afraid of his name not being remembered than he was the big picture of Israel and God Almighty. He was more afraid of missing out. He was more afraid of things changing. And because he was more afraid of those things, his life was yielded to all of that. What we are afraid of and what we fear the most is what we yield to the most. If our greatest fears have to do with having to change, if our greatest fears have to do with missing out or not doing what we want to do, then we'll yield to that in everything. But if our greatest fear is God, we will adjust by the power of the Spirit of God, we'll adjust our opportunities, our desires, our will, and yield to His in everything, in everything. Yeah, that's difficult to do though, isn't it? Right, which is why God puts us in a family that's going to do it together. So that what? So that we might learn to fear you. Let's stand to our feet. And realizing now as we are standing to our feet, we're doing fine. It's 1139. we got a few more minutes. I want to tell you right now, as we said at the beginning of the message, when we are preaching on forgiveness, when we are preaching on these things that we are dealing with in our heart and in our life, you need to respond in truth. Just like I did all those years ago when God said, you're a sinner and there's no hope of eternal life without me. If you are hearing this for the first time and it's making sense in your heart and mind for the first time today, would you respond? Would you stop thinking about everybody else? In fact, let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Would you stop thinking about everybody else? We're going to give you an opportunity right now to walk this aisle. There's going to be pastors up here. We'll meet you right down here. If all you've got to do is say, I need to be saved. And the thing that I want you to know today is we've had children in the last month, last two months, that have called upon the name of the Lord because in the innocent heart of a child, that's probably way more innocent than ours is. In the innocent life of a child, when when they are met with the knowledge that they're a sinner and they need God, they say, yes, yes, yes. But for some reason in our adulthood, we do everything but that. So I'd ask you just now just to reflect and respond to that. Right now, even in the quiet place of your pew, would you call on the Lord to be saved? Would you call on the Lord to be saved right now? When I step down off of this stage and onto the floor, would you come to me and tell me that you have prayed or you need to pray or you got more questions? 
Second part of this invitation is the next steps. Do you need to be baptized? Do you need to have your lonely life put together in a family? That God would lead you to a, a family of believers. Would today be the day that you take that step to join a body of believing people going in the same direction? Lord Jesus, I thank you, O oh God, for the offer of forgiveness, an offer that you have guaranteed by the blood, that you have made possible by the Father's will. And we just ask now, Lord, that we would put down our pride and that we would respond in truth. God, whether young or old, there are folks here I know that either need to come back to you or come to you for the first time. Lord, knowing that I've experienced that in my life. And I need a church family. Lord, I need accountability and help. And I thank you, O oh God, for all the provision that you make to turn our life for the better, for your glory and for our good. Pray that we respond now in truth in Jesus' name. Amen. This altar is open for you. We have pastors here. You can pass right on by us. You can come and pray, or you can talk with us if needed. Just respond.